0: For your continued support. Oh, we're being recorded. Okay. Um, And I I assume that you're only showing my face in the recording. Is that right? Yes, you're nodding. I see. Okay, that's one way to communicate. Well, hello, everyone, everyone who has arrived. Um, We are going to sit for about 30 minutes and Then I'm going to talk for a while, and then I'm going to invite you to ask questions or participate. Um, I I just wanted to mention, before we get started, a a couple of things that are upcoming, because I'm heading to the East Coast next month. So um, let's see. Oh, boy, that's not, I don't love that link. There's a better link for this, but anyway, uh, I'm going to be, excuse me, at Omega Institute, uh, with Vimalasara actually in August, August 11th to the 13th, really a beautiful, uh, space, uh, beautiful place, um, in upstate New York, uh, it used to be like a summer camp and, um, They've turned it into a retreat center. It's it's kind of very um, diverse in terms of the offerings. Uh, I see that they're offering a, an intermediate pickleball workshop. So it's not all, it's not a Buddhist center, but no, it's mostly kind of yoga oriented and stuff like that. But it, they have like a great... Um, you know, it's a great campus. And uh, anyway, if you're interested in hanging out with us for for a few days, uh, please come there. We're, I'm also g- going to be um, doing a day long, which is going to be online to uh, for the what's um, called Delaware Valley Insight. So for those of you in the who know Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley is basically Philadelphia. It's going to be the event is going to be in Philadelphia. So. I found that link. <laughs> anyway, all of this is on my on my website. Um, the uh, retreat in North Carolina seems to be full. You can get on the waiting list, uh, and if you are interested in coming to North Carolina for a week long retreat, um, which ends on Labor Day, um, get on the um, wait list and plan on coming because there's always somebody who drops out like the day before the retreat, and there's a space. I'm like. Uh, Somebody should come, and usually people on the waiting list have given up by the day before the retreat, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, enough advertising. Um, yeah, well, let's start with the sit, and, and usually what I do is I I give guidance for a while, and then I let it just fall into silence and just let people sit with their own practice, but I'll get you started with some uh you know, introductory instructions to uh, mindfulness meditation. So our starting point and our, our you know, way we start is by silencing our phone. Thank you. Uh, and then <laughs> establishing a posture that's conducive to alertness and calm. So typically that's suggested to be upright, but you can certainly meditate lying down as well. And so by just establishing a stable, comfortable posture and closing your eyes or just lowering your gaze, this alone can make a kind of internal shift in a sense it's just the intention to be present to meditate kind of gets us started I'm sort of imagining being in a rowboat and just pushing off from the shore You haven't started rowing yet, but you're already floating, if you will. So just letting the body settle, become still, and just feeling the breath moving through the body. And noticing too what you bring to the class tonight. What's what's up for you? Just what are you feeling now? What kind of energy do you have? Your mood? Especially an evening class kind of means that Some aspect of our day probably still lingers, whether it's pleasant or something unpleasant. Just just feeling that we're not trying to fix it or control it. I've been working with a very simple approach to practice and to daily life, which is on the in-breath to open, on the out-breath to release. On the in-breath, I open to whatever feelings are here, whatever energies are in the body. And on the out breath, I release tension, soften the muscles in the body, and there's a natural settling then that happens as I, I stay open. And I keep letting go with the release. And then tuning in more carefully to the breath as we release more Start to settle and calm body, feeling the sensations of breath, the flow of breathing, the rhythm. We're not trying to accomplish anything, not trying to stop thoughts or create some special mood or mind state. Just settle back and observe what's arising. natural that our mind will wander. Thoughts don't just stop because we decide to meditate. They're actually an integral part of our practice. So even as we are foregrounding the breath we can notice the thoughts that arise. Sometimes the thoughts will fully capture our attention, we'll lose the breath. And then at a certain point, we'll wake up and realize we're thinking. Then we just start again. We're not going anywhere. We're just here. Connect again with the breath. It can be helpful, though, to also notice what those thoughts are, particularly the ones that really capture our attention. What is it that my mind is really drawn to? What am I trying to capture, to figure out, to plan or to remember, to judge, to analyze? particularly seductive are the thoughts that have some insight where we feel like we've got some dharma understanding. There's that tendency to think, well, I'm meditating, so if I'm thinking about Buddhism, it doesn't count. I don't have to let go of that. But really, it's all just thinking. There's nothing wrong with thinking. It's not that we're bad for thinking. But we're trying to change how we relate to thoughts. To see them more as just passing phenomena, not personal, not mine, not me, lacking any substance or claims on truth, In my, in my uh, other classes, the, the regular ones I do on, on my own Zoom, uh, we just meditate for 20 minutes, so it's sort of an adjustment doing 30 minutes together. Uh, I, do, I sit for longer than that in the morning on my own, but there's something about doing it online and just in this kind of void that's a little odd. <laughs> but uh, hopefully it's helpful for people. Um, we are we are a sangha, uh, even if we're not in the same place uh, together. Um, so, uh, um, I want to uh, uh, talk about uh, the topic of of not self uh, tonight, um, which is. You know, really a key Buddhist teaching and one of the things unique to to Buddhism, uh, the way the Buddha talked about self. Um, It's something that can get very heady. And, uh, you know, when someone raises their hand in class and says, would you explain uh, not self or no self? Uh, I usually feel a little like, oh, no, here we go. And. Um, and, and yet when, when applied and reflected on skillfully, I think it's a hugely helpful concept to work with. But I think it does really require a very kind of balanced way of looking at it. And, and so, and, and in fact, to kind of say, you know what, Liana said, "What's the talk going to be?" And I said, "It's going to be self slash not self in recovery." So to to just try to talk about not self, independent of self, sort of misses the point. Um, because self as sort of ego or identification with a with a, you know an idea of who you are is an important uh, aspect of our lives and and can't be neglected. And, and in fact, you know, having a healthy ego and a healthy sense of self is really key to any kind of spiritual growth. And, and I think that in a way, you know, the foundation principles of the 12 steps and, and any kind of recovery program are about first rebuilding a healthy self, you know, a healthy sense of self, Um, and and an an emotionally healthy and integrated uh, person, you know, where your your personality is, integrates uh, the different aspects of self, right? Um, But there's also a point Particularly in the 12 step program, and particularly when we start to do inventory and face the amends process, that uh, it can be helpful to have this other way of thinking about who we are and thinking about how we define ourselves, and particularly uh, thinking about the thoughts that we have and our, our past, um, and all of that. I was talking to someone recently about, uh, and I think they're fairly early in recovery and that they were, um, you know, getting caught up in, in some, uh, you know, negative feelings about their past. And, you know, if you're, in recovery from some kind of addiction, um, by definition, you have a messy past, at least some, you know, some messiness back there. And so it's something we all all have to deal with. You know, and you can, you know, be very Buddhist about it and say, well, that's, the past is gone. Uh, There's only this present moment. But that's not really true, you know. The past is what creates the present. You know, karma is, you know, the accumulation of, of conditioning and, and events and behaviors and thoughts. And so, uh, so we are living in the present moment. We are, relive, we are living the results of our past. Um, so we can't just dismiss the past. Um, and, and nor would the, certainly the 12 steps suggest that we do, you know, they say the, you know, the so-called promises say we shall not regret the past. And even that I think is a bit of a, a strong claim. I still have moments when I regret things, but but the idea that oh uh, what what I have done and how I have lived can be put to, Use there can be value in it. That's that I think is a you know what they're getting at in that list of things that they call the promises. But let me let me talk. um, I mean, I guess I'll I will try to try to define a little bit or explain a little bit how the Buddha talks about self and what what his point is. When he when he' points at things and says that that is not self, so the Buddha does not say that there is no self and the, and we see in the suttas that that people at various times try to pin him down on that point. you know, are you saying that there is no self? I'm not saying that there is no self. I'm saying that your thoughts are not yourself, your body is not yourself. Uh, your words are not yourself. Um, your possessions are not yourself your family is not yourself well yeah of course but so so he's he's it, it, what we have to get at partly is how the the buddha says that if something is a self then you can control it So if your body, he says this, like, if your body were your, if you owned your body and if it was a self, then you would be able to control it and make it do what you want it to do. And we all know, like, we have a certain amount, a degree of control over our body. I can lift my hand up and put it down. I can, you know, I can move around. Fortunately, I'm, you know, that's just because I happen to be able to move around there are other people who can't move around but you know the point is yeah we have some control over our bodies but i don't know if there's anybody here who who thinks i look exactly the way i want to look (laughs) all the time (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not pointing my fingers i'm not reading anybody's mind but you know yeah and we, we wouldn't age right we wouldn't deteriorate um no our hair wouldn't fall out i mean you know it's maybe you'd just shave it off i don't know but that's that's another issue entirely and then he says well so your body is not yourself because you can't control it it's impermanent it's not satisfactory it's dukkha it's not you know it's suffering as he says you know bound to get sick and have pain and eventually die. And so then he's like, "But and your mind also is not yourself, you know, and he he goes into more detail, but we can see, see like, yeah, I don't think the thoughts I want to think, isn't that interesting? Isn't that weird? Like uh, I have to read a text I got today. So, um, I yesterday I was talking to a young man who uh, I met uh, on the golf course last year, I guess it was last year. And uh, he's a, he's a aspiring professional golfer, very sweet young man, uh, you know, amazing golfer. We, you know, we just got paired up one day and, and I told him what I do in terms of teaching meditation. And he was very interested in that. And so I've, I've, you know, given him, some guidance from time to time. And I hadn't heard from him in a while. I heard it from him recently. And he was like, I'd really like to talk to you about the mental game as they call it. Right. So we we had tea yesterday morning in it. And I actually gave him the instruction that I gave you guys tonight, which is open and release when you're on the golf course, just open to, because he said, I want to relax. I want to learn to relax when I'm in a tournament. And so I said, no you don't you you don't want to relax when you're in a tournament you what you want to do is you want your body you want to be able to soften your body but you don't want to relax because you're you're this is a highly charged environment and you use that energy so that's why i said uh, breathing in open and feel and allow in don't fight the feelings you're having breathing out release them and so release and the tension in your body, soften your bellies, relax your shoulders, loosen your jaw. Those are the kind of the three key points. But then I said, after, you know, I said, I said, that's just, that's enough. If you just think of that when you're on the golf course, just be aware of your breath. And as you're walking between shots, just open, feel, release, open, release. You know, that's all you need. And, and, and I didn't want to give him a whole lot more. You know, to think about. But we did, because we talked for a while. You know, I I told him about the problem of thoughts, right? Like, when you're playing golf, have you ever noticed what thoughts you have? He said, No, I haven't. I said, Well, you should notice that because your thoughts are going to influence the way you play. So he wrote me (laughs) today, said, I played around yesterday (laughs) and wrote down every thought. (laughs) that i noticed that i said to myself i find it very interesting and vulgar at the same time (laughs) i thought that was a pretty good yeah 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 I've, i've had some of those vulgar thoughts myself but what he's seeing is that his thoughts are not himself he's not controlling his thoughts right now and we all anybody who meditates for any period of time discovers that well, it's kind of freaky in a way. It's like, what the hell? Who's running this show? You know what? You know, and this is kind of the Buddhist question. Wes Nersker has his, in his inimitable fashion, says, your mind has a mind of its own. <laughs> it's like your mind just is like, you know, it's, just, it's got its own journey. So, okay, so so we see all that. You know, we see we're not in control. So that's one. That's how the Buddha approaches this. You could make another argument that that doesn't prove there's uh, that those things are not self, but that's that's the framework that the Buddha uses, and and I think it's a useful one because we get into a struggle trying to control these things that we're not in control of. So there we have. Step one, right? There's step one. I'm powerless over my mind and my body. You know, it doesn't mean, just as with alcohol, it doesn't mean I don't have some influence over them. I can stop drinking. I have stopped drinking. I've been stopped stopped for 38 years. But if I drink, then I'm powerless, right? So I can I can alter my thoughts, but I have to be mindful. I have to be awake and aware um and so so this is like this shift that we're making we're not uh, we're not trying to you know get rid of self so this is one of the other mistakes that people get when they hear this teaching they think oh i now now that i'm a buddhist i have to get rid of myself (laughs) and then you really have a problem but the point is that the idea of self as a lasting, permanent, self-existent, like independent entity is an illusion. And this is, you know, a point that the Buddha makes that we are not expected to take on faith. We are invited to explore that question. And, but the point being that I don't have to get rid of anything. I just have to see clearly how things are. And then I will see that this idea of a self is an illusion. And that will help me to be free of the problems that come along with thinking that there's a self and believing that there's a self. The problems that come along with believing there's, there's self—I mean, there's a long list, but to name a few of them—it's basically what I've been talking about. There's this frustration, first of all, in that I can't control this thing that I think is me, <laughs> and so then there's this feedback loop that starts. I can't, con- I—you know—I am not behaving or thinking or feeling the way I think I should be. So now I'm frustrated with myself and I'm angry with myself, which means I'm just stuck in this internal conflict that can't be resolved and can only spiral, you know, And so when we realize, even if we just realize it intellectually, cognitively, without, we don't have to have a profound insight, because it is, it is a, there is a level of profound insight that's actually the breakthrough into the first stage of enlightenment, the old stream entry. But just to enter, understand it intellectually and to remember it and to see it mindfully that, oh, wait, 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 that. I'm not responsible for that thought that I can let go of that thought. It's, it's okay that I look the way I am. It's just, it's just a body. It's not me. You know, these are these feelings. They're unpleasant or they're pleasant, but they're just coming and going. They're not substantial. They don't define me. There is no definition of me, no. Well, all of a sudden it's like, oh, what a relief, right? So the the place where this is particularly applicable and what made me think about this as a topic tonight was around the inventory process. Because this is where I would say someone working a 12-step program, so that for those who don't, Weren't you know familiar necessarily with every step? The fourth step in the 12th step says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. You know, and this is a point in uh, the twelve step program that's very challenging. And 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 anybody who has arrived at that point, you know, like I've worked the first three steps, and my sponsor says it's time to write an inventory. You know if you don't feel intimidated, you haven't been paying attention or you or you're sort of you know you've you forgot your your life you know it's it's a it's a scary proposition and it's mostly a scary proposition because it's a searching fearless moral inventory of myself right and you know I did that shit you know that's me, and that's true you know I can't get away from that. And and for it to be effective, I need to take that on. I need to take responsibility for it. I can't this is where we have to be very careful that we don't abuse Buddhist teachings or misuse them and say, well, like I said, it's the past and there is no self. So it's not really me. No, nah, that's that's just, you know a way, a way to try to escape responsibility. No, that was totally me. And that was myself, you know the, uh, it, it, because as I said, there's a self and there's on on the relative level and the relative functional level, there is a self, you know that's why you have a driver's license and a credit card uh, if you have those things. you know you, you have a name that people call you, etc. you have possessions. That's the functional, Self and it's as I say vital. You, you can't do without it. Really, not not as a human being. If you were just an animal, you could probably function without a self. But so so we have to take responsibility for that, and that's going to be painful, no matter what. I mean, if again, if it isn't painful, then you're probably not being honest. And at a certain point within that process, we need to also step away and remember that this is the past and it isn't who I am. It doesn't define me. It's, you know, I have done unskillful things. I've probably harmed others, certainly harmed myself. But that's not me in the absolute sense. And so, this I think is a really important balance to hold these two to not be in, a, in denial about our behavior, but also to be able to see it in this larger view, because it's that view that allows compassion, self-compassion, forgiveness for ourselves. And this is one of the the beautiful and remarkable things that Buddhist meditation introduces us to, if we haven't encountered it already in our lives, that there is this capacity to, we could say, rest in awareness or or just this observing capacity, which doesn't have, it's kind of, I, I could say it's, it's not really part of our personality. It's just the capacity to know and to see. And, and from that place to, to be able to offer compassion to ourself, right? Then it's, almost as if, and I don't know if this even makes sense, but I'll say it. It's almost as if the not self is offering compassion to the self, you know, or the realization of not self creates the space in which there can be compassion for the self. But I think this is, this is one of the things that the Dharma can bring to the 12 steps that very specifically, I think, and we're very, really one of the valuable things and key things and unique things that the Dharma brings to the 12 steps that allows us to have this other perspective on the process so that we're not so identified with the harm, with the alcoholism. You know, we can say, I'm Kevin and I'm an alcoholic, but we don't take that on as I who we are in some absolute sense. We understand that it's just a functional way of identifying self. But this is where, because for me, you know, one of the things that, one of the, I guess I'd say issues, you know, have with kind of Bill Wilson's approach to recovery and the 12 steps is what to me feels like an overemphasis on self on 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 inventory and and that you know that it starts to become burdensome this constant uh you know undermining uh, of the of the self you know and and this is you know my my take is for a long time has been that you know Bill Wilson had this uh, inflation problem, ego inflation problem. And he thought that that was just like the way all alcoholics were. So he was really into ego deflation. But the case I think is that many people need, need some more ego support than the don't need deflation. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really work for me as a, as a kind of, Uh, constant, you know, write an inventory every day sort of thing. And and that doesn't mean that I'm not paying attention to the harm I do that, you know, for me, certainly the 10th step, if you will, like continuing to take inventory is is part of being a a mindfulness practitioner, right? Your mindfulness is a kind of ongoing inventory. It's paying attention to seeing what's arising in your mind and what behavior is coming is happening what's coming out of your mouth but to do that in this kind of self-critical way i think has a risk a risk to it so this capacity this this invitation that we have from the dharma to let go of identification with thoughts <laughs> with our history is is really one of the most freeing things that we we can gain through the Dharma, and and again, it 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 needs to be held as the Buddha said with a middle way in a balanced way, skillfully, uh, and and that's you know that's easier said than done. Uh, you know, I I like to talk about the middle way or maintaining balance as a, as a practitioner, as being like walking on a tightrope. And that when you watch somebody go on a tightrope, they aren't just walking straight across. I'm in the middle of doing, going down the middle way. They're tipping one way and tipping the other way. And that's the way our minds are. That's where our emotions are. That's the way our lives are. You know, some days are good. Some days are not so good. So, uh, you know, some t- days I'm more, I'm harder on myself. Some days I might be too easy on myself. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and the way the mind works. I, I just, just to share a little story before I, I think after this we can open it up. But I, um, I mentioned that I'm going to be teaching in Philadelphia, and 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 I just got noticed that I'm going to be teaching at the Shambhala Center in Philadelphia, where I have taught before, and it's on Sansom Street in Philadelphia, and Sansom at, at the end of the block. <laughs> that the Shambhala Center is on, there used to be a hippie clothing store called Ward's Folly. And I worked there in 1969. And one day, the kind person who I was dating at the time brought me a sandwich. She did not know that I, at that time, was tremendously averse to rye bread. And I threw that sandwich to express my aversion. And when I was, when they said sense, when they told me I was going to be at the Shambhala Center, I immediately thought of Ward's folly and that sandwich. And I felt bad, you know, and I was like, oh God, I regret the past, you know. What was, you know, oh, you know, and and it's painful, right? When we, when those things come up for us, those moments, those really like just really that's what an asshole, right? Like what the, you know, and that was 1969, you know, I, I don't have to carry that with me. I'm not, I don't think I ever made amends about it though. I wish I I would be, I would happily make amends for that today uh, if I could track down that wonderful person. But, uh, but you know, there you go. And it was like, okay, there it is. Okay. whatever. So uh, you know that was I got tipped a little bit <laughs> with that one, right? And I, okay, come back. Yeah, but um, you know this is the process, right? This is our this is our work, holding self and not self, and uh, being kind uh, to both the self and the not self, and and holding them wisely. You know? So you know. I, th- I think I'm going to leave it at that um, and just open it up and see if there are any thoughts or questions and see if, yeah, I'd like to hear from you guys. And, um, you know, we don't have a specific end time, but uh, kind of aiming at uh, 845 here in California. So that gives us about uh 20, a little over 20 minutes. So I think that's enough time for us. Well, let's see how it goes. If, if there's a lot of questions, we can always stretch it out. So, so any, any, uh, I, I have to, I, I am expecting <laughs> tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.